Good morning, everybody. Welcome to The Wall. My name is Ryan Gear. I'm the pastor here. If you're new with us, you're our guest, and we're glad you're here. And if you'd like to let us know, just text the word WELCOME to 480-530-7234. It'll text you back with a digital connect card. Just fill that out and tell us about yourself, and you'll get more information about The Well. Thanks for being with us today. Uh, I tested positive for COVID uh, Saturday morning. So um, yesterday morning, um, as you're watching this, and uh, um, my symptoms are generally mild right now. scratchy throat, cough, runny nose, aches and pains, fatigue. I don't have a fever. And um, so I appreciate your your prayers. And uh, it's a reminder, COVID's not over. I was kind of getting into the mindset that I didn't have to take precautions that much or wear a mask. And and, uh, and that's that's where it got me. So um, that's why uh, I'm giving a pre-recorded sermon this morning. I want to thank our team and they're sweating, setting up equipment and taking equipment down, and, and I appreciate them so much. If some of you would like to help our team take down equipment after the service, they would certainly appreciate that. Many hands make light work, and it won't take very long. Um, and help them pack it into that, that cargo trailer that we use to transport all of our equipment uh, to and from Hancock Elementary, and we really appreciate you for that. So this is the last week of our series, The Family Tree, The Denominations of Christianity. And in the series... We've talked about the various branches of the family tree, people who wanted to follow Jesus over the centuries. And the reason we've done that is we all go through our own struggles and our spiritual journeys. We have our questions, we have our doubts, we have our own experiences, our own stories. And a lot of times we can feel alone because it may be that the particular struggles we have or questions or doubts, they, they're not really permitted in some churches that we've been a part of and and. We don't talk about it with other people, and we're not really sure um, you know, if we're the only ones who have ever thought this or felt this way. And then we learn about church history, the family tree, and we discover, wait a second, there were people hundreds of years ago on the other side of the planet who had questions just like me and who had struggles just like me, and this aha moment happens, and, and we realize we're not alone. When we learn about the family tree. And so we've talked about Catholics and Orthodox Christians and Anglicans and Methodists and Lutherans and Presbyterians and Baptists, Anabaptists and Pentecostals last week. And, and then this week we're talking about non-denominational Christians. I've showed this pie chart every, every sermon. Uh, this is all the Christians in the world, over 2 billion people. You see how the, the percentages kind of break down for each denomination. And you can see that over half of all Christians are Catholic and then various slices of the pie getting smaller and smaller. And, and uh, every week in this series, I'm giving you three things, basic facts and history about <coughs> excuse me, the family tree that we're talking about, the major tenets of their faith, what do they believe. And then, and then lastly, we're going to ask, how can we grow? As we learn about other branches of the family tree, how can we grow spiritually from learning about them. And of course, this is Memorial Day weekend. I hope you have a, a meaningful Memorial Day. We're thinking of people who have given all uh, for our country and, and what we take for granted. Uh, certainly, um, the violence we're seeing in, in the form of mass shootings is weighing heavily on our hearts, and I'm going to talk about that at the end of, of, of the sermon today. So we appreciate you being with us. Now, a little over two weeks ago, Hannah and I took our boys to the Coldplay concert here in Phoenix. I think that was too long ago from when we got COVID. I don't, I don't think that was the reason. But we gave our boys earplugs <coughs> and we took them 
uh, to see Cole play at State Farm Stadium, the big, the big football stadium where the Cardinals play. It was an amazing time. And for Hannah and I, it was, a, uh, it was a, a special time because we got to see our boys sing their hearts out and dance. They love Coldplay. They know the songs. And it was just so sweet. And so I had a, a video. It's about 30 seconds long of our boys dancing and singing uh, to a Coldplay song called Humankind. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm the dad who shows you pictures and videos without you asking. So um, I want uh, to show this to you. It's about 30 seconds long. Let's watch. thought that was just the sweetest thing. They were dancing and singing. They had such a great time. And Chris Martin is the lead singer of Coldplay. He grew up in England and uh, lives in the LA area now. But um, if you don't know his story, he grew up in an evangelical non-denominational church. He went to boarding school where he was exposed to kind of high Anglican worship during the day. And then his family was a part of, of an evangelical non-denominational church and, and Chris Martin was in. As a, as a teenager, he was very much a born-again evangelical Christian with everything that goes along with that. If you grew up similar, similarly to that the way that I did, you know what that means. And, and he gave an interview with Rolling Stone, I believe this was in 2019, when he talked about his upbringing. And, and he, he talks about how his church experience influenced his music. And then the interviewer asked him what his view of God is now, what it was when he was younger, and what it is now. And, and Chris Martin told about going through a time of questioning in his teenage years. And this is a four-minute video. I think it's worth every minute of watching uh, as Chris Martin tells his story. And it, for me, it shows uh, what we're talking about today, that there are two kinds of non-denominational churches and, and what that can mean for our spiritual journeys. So let's watch this clip from uh, Rolling Stone in an interview with Chris Martin. Let me ask you something else about that, though. What was your relationship with God and the church then? Then or now? Then. then. As um, a child, and then now. Uh, I've always had a feeling of being part of a much bigger picture. And... I was lucky when I was a kid because my mum is from Zimbabwe, so I would go to Zimbabwe a lot and see a very different side of the world. And so that, that, that made me realise there's, there's a much bigger story going on than just me. And uh, my relationship with God at that time was very much to see God as a man in the sky with a beard who was quite nice but also quite punitive and that if you did things wrong, you might risk going and burning for a possibly substantial amount of time, which is terrifying for uh -huh. kids. And you fully subscribe to that. Fully, mm -hmm. fully, to the point of crazy uh, problems. And, um, and then there was a slightly more evangelical side with uh, a more born-again sort of thing. As a young person. Yeah, very young person. And... In amidst, in amidst the sort of scariness of it is also a, a real warmth that comes from 
a lot of the great prophets, but Jesus included, his, his pure message was one of like, hey, be nice to other people, treat each other, mm -hmm. you know, look after people. So there was a lot of real beautiful stuff being fed to me as well as some slightly more terrifying stuff. So for a while, it was a, I was like, uh, half of this feels really right and half of it feels really scary. And uh, that was my relationship with God then. You, you said born again, it was kind of born again. I mean, you, yeah. you went from just kind of ordinary strict yeah, both. upbringing I was both. to then having even a larger burst of religion. Yeah, because both, one, one in one sort of part of the day and one in another part of the day. Parts of the day, that's Yeah, strange. meaning like at the schools you go to oh, and okay. that, you know, that's very much the... Standard stuff. The, the sort of bedrock. Of Satan's gonna get you. And then at night when you come home? Oh, well, I was at boarding school, but... Um, I mean... It... Yeah, and then I was, all, I was into it, um, like a ev more evangelical thing. You, you Studying know... Studying the Bible and everything. Uh -huh. You shared that with you too. You know that. I shared, yeah, we sh and with a lot of people actually. Well, clearly. <laughs> but that was very much at the core of who they were and how they started yeah. out and their message and is today. You know, I mean, it, yeah. they're preaching. So what that did was ease a big pressure mm -hmm. and uh, then made me question like, hey, maybe some of this stuff that I'm learning about God and everything, I'm not sure if I subscribe to all of this mm -hmm. particular religion. So for a few years, that was a bit, is this very boring? No, no, I'm fast. <clears throat> so for a few years, that was a bit wobbly. And then eventually I just was like, okay, I think I have my own relationship with what I think God is. And what it's about, not really any one religion uh -huh. for me. So, and your relationship with God now? Because God is throughout this album. Yeah, to me, it, God is everything and everybody and it's, and it's love and it's the miracle in every cell of everything and the vastness of the mystery, and in your nose, and in my knee, and in this guy's lovely hair. Your balls. Uh, thank you, and yeah, it's, it's everybody, and everybody is precious, and everything is here, everything is part of the grand design. So you can see in Chris Martin, somebody who had an, an upbringing in an evangelical, non-denominational environment, and then as a teenager began to question those things, and now, he wouldn't call himself a Christian. He, I would certainly say he's a quote-unquote spiritual person, but his beliefs are a lot different than they used to be when he went through this crisis of faith as a teenager. And I think his story sets the stage for talking about non-denominational churches today. So first of all, non-denominational means two different things. The first meaning is there are a lot of churches that are essentially Baptist churches. They're Baptist in theology and practice, and they leave their denomination to become independent. And so they are non-denominational, but they are essentially Baptist churches. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just um, that's often the case when you, when you see a large megachurch in a city that's a non-denominational church. Often that will be really a church that's Baptist in theology and practice, but they just don't have a denomination anymore. So most of the big churches in this area are actually Baptist churches. There's one that is non-denominational, but that fits this description. It's called The Grove in Chandler. It's a non-denominational church, but their theology is Southern Baptist. They're involved in social work. They do a lot of great things. Um, and at the same time, they send their kids to Liberty University follow, uh, that was uh, founded by Jerry Falwell. And, and they, they have Baptist 
Southern Baptist theology. And so that's the, the first meaning of non-denominational. The second kind of non-denominational church or interdenominational church tends to be historically what have been known as congregational churches, congregationalist churches. So some of the, the early settlers to America, as you know, were Puritans. They were separatists who came from England. They didn't want to be a part of the Church of England, like Chris Martin was exposed to in boarding school in the daytime. They wanted to have uh, their own separate uh, experience of religion that tended to be more conservative, like Chris Martin's non-denominational evangelical church that he, that he, he and his family were a part of. And, and so uh, they traveled to uh, the Americas, um, and they practiced their religion in, in New England. They were not a part of a denomination, uh, but they were autonomous congregations, independent congregations who worshipped God as they saw fit, different from the Church of England. They were both conservative and liberal wings of Congregationalist churches, from Jonathan Edwards to Charles Chauncey, who championed rational religion and universal, uh, universalism. Key leaders were John Cotton, uh, who called, uh, who, sorry, who was called the father of New England Congregationalism. And so, um, one type of non-denominational churches we've essentially already covered when we talked about Baptist churches last week, but we haven't talked about these non-denominational churches that are congregationalist historically. And so, what are some distinctives of congregationalist churches, and what does that mean for the well? Because we are influenced by this movement. So, distinctives. First of all, they're called, called congregationalist churches because they're congregationally governed. Non-denominational or interdenominational churches don't have a bishop or a larger group that governs them. They're governed by the congregation, hence the name congregational. And the well is an independent non-denominational church. We're not a part of a denomination. We're governed by our congregation. So we fit into this mold historically. Uh, another distinctive is that congregationalist churches historically have valued education. For example, Harvard and Yale were founded as schools to train congregational clergy. I'd say that's a pretty good pedigree. A distinctive of congregationalist churches was, and this is really important, so we're going to park here for a moment, freedom of conscience in faith and worship. So my wife grew up in a New England-style congregational church in Aurora, Ohio, a suburb of Cleveland. This is, it sounds kind of strange, but northeastern Ohio was actually settled by people who moved west at that time from New England. And so Northeastern Ohio was called the Western Reserve. If you've heard of Case Western University, that area was settled by New Englanders. And, and so here's a photo of the church my wife grew up in. It's called the Church in Aurora. We were married here. It's beautiful, isn't it? And it looks like it could be in Boston. It's very much a New England style of architecture and the, the history of the church comes from New England and these Congregationalist churches. For example, the homepage of their website says this, We give each person space to follow the Word of God according to the dictates of their own conscience. Now think about that for a second. And then if you scroll down on their website, it says, We respect and encourage all Christian faith traditions. We strive for unity and mission while practicing grace and our theological differences. Does that sound familiar to you, people of the well? See, the well is very much in this tradition. We're not, we, we don't necessarily call ourselves a congregationalist church, but 
we do sit in this tradition of churches in America, and this type of church predates the founding of America as a country. This is so important. Next week, actually, you're going to hear a, a sermon from Reverend Bill Schnell, who was the pastor of the church in Aurora for almost 30 years while my wife grew up in this church. He, he's going to speak to us on the first week of a new series we're starting next week called Road Trip. And we're going to hear from guest speakers from around the country speaking on whatever they are passionate about. I contacted several people and I said, you can talk to us about whatever you're passionate about. And so next week, Reverend Schnell is going to give a sermon on authority and responsibility in creation care. He's talking about a Christian view of environmentalism and, and Christians caring for creation. He already sent it to me. It's great. And that kind of gives you insight. He's a thinking person. He's been taking classes at Harvard and Yale since his retirement. And he comes from this Congregationalist tradition. If you remember several weeks ago, we talked about Roger Williams, who founded the first Baptist church in America before America was the United States. He was a, a Puritan who was a part of the Massachusetts Bay Colony in the early 1600s. And he was expelled from the Massachusetts Bay Colony because Roger Williams said, you know, we should buy land from Native Americans instead of just taking it from them. Yeah, they quickly kicked him out for that. But you can see how he had a respect for the Native American population who was already here. He was kicked out of the Massachusetts Bay Colony and he traveled to Providence, Rhode Island, where he started the first Baptist church in America. Now, check this out. Roger Williams believed in freedom of thought, in freedom of religion, as in the government can't make you ascribe to a certain religion if you don't want to. And he believed in the separation of church and state. So the first Baptist church in America was Northern, pro-freedom of thought, and pro-separation of church and state. This was over a hundred years before Jefferson wrote the Declaration of Independence. Roger Williams was an influence on the founding fathers of the United States. And, and his view of religion, that you should be able to worship God as you see fit, according to the dictates of your own conscience, that a pastor, a church, a bishop, a denomination should not be able to force you to worship in a certain way, that got into the water of America and became part of our First Amendment. Freedom of speech and freedom of religion. This is the tradition that the well stands in. There are people who, who will hear me talk about the well and that, and that I teach the Apostles' Creed, I teach the faith, but at the same time, we don't make people pretend that they agree with everything that they hear me say. There are people at the well from a wide variety of backgrounds who have a, a wide range of opinions on lots of things. And we don't say that you have to agree with every single thing to be a part of the well. We're not necessarily a creedal church. We say, do you want to follow Jesus? Jesus said the greatest commandment is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Do you want to do that? Well, then you can sign on. You're, you're a part of the well. And there are folks who think that's weird. <laughs> Actually, it's very American. And it predates the founding of the United States here. When people came to this land from other countries who had state churches who forced them to worship in a particular way, and they said, no, we believe in worshiping God and thinking and believing according to what our conscience tells us is right. And we don't want to be forced by some 
you know, higher, uh, you know, ecclesiastical authority to worship in a way that we don't think is right. That predates the founding of the United States, and the well is very much in that tradition. It's, it's an American idea, freedom of religion, freedom of thought. And, and so uh, this was a key influence on the United States, and, and it's, it's an important part of who we are at the well. And so valuing freedom of conscience and freedom of thought in worship was a part of Congregationalist churches. And then, and then last, before we move on to what we can learn, how we can grow, uh, Congregationalist churches were heavily involved in social reform movements over the centuries and, and decades. So uh, congregational churches have tended to be involved in social reform movements like abolitionism, ending slavery, the temperance movement, women's suffrage. And, and again, if you value intellectual honesty and you tend to think deeply about, about theological beliefs and how they affect our lives now, you tend to think deeply about what's going on in the world and how society is ordered and what's the right thing to do, what's justice and righteousness mean, then you are more likely to be involved in the here and now. That faith is not just some pie in the sky uh, thing about you know some other place and some other time going to heaven when I die, but it's about now. And so congregationalist churches have a history of being a part of social movements. So just with that bit of history, and of course that's far from exhaustive, we're barely scratching the surface, how can we grow from learning about non-denominational churches like churches that come from this congregationalist movement. Well, first of all, we can value education and freedom of thought in worship. This is why I believe churches like the well are so important and they're so needed in every city in this country. And in every membership class we have, and we just had one a few weeks ago, we read the mission and values of the well together. And then I ask the participants, you know, were there any words or phrases that jumped out at you? Was there anything that was meaningful that you heard that you would like to discuss or ask more about? And, and here's our mission statement, for example, at The Well. Our mission statement is to create a community where thinking, compassionate people can find a spiritual home and cultivate a Jesus-inspired life. That's our mission statement at The Well. And In every membership class, someone will mention the words thinking and compassionate. They'll say, you know, I appreciate the fact that this church makes room for thinking people and compassionate people, people who want to live by their head and their hearts and, and think deeply about issues and how we live and how it affects other people. And I just appreciate the fact that we're able to think here in every membership class. Someone will say that. And, and that is a thoroughly American idea that, that you can think about your faith. You have the freedom to be able to think and be honest about your faith. And so a church that allows people to be honest about their questions and doubts can also prevent the kind of crisis of faith that Chris Martin had as a teenager and so many of you have had or are having now and, and can help people to realize it's okay to have questions. It's okay to not know everything. It's okay to, to, uh, to accept some gray areas in a world of black and white. If you're a parent or a grandparent, or you just you care about kids in your life and you can bring your child to a church like The Well and you can spare them from having that kind of crisis of faith when they get older because they grew up in a church where it was okay to not have all the answers and it was okay to give people grace when it comes to all kinds of things that Christians disagree about. 
And then another thing that we can learn, the ways that we can grow from these non-denominational congregationalist churches is to get involved in social movements to make society better. When you, when you value education and thinking deeply, you realize that faith is not about just some other place, some other time. But our faith and what we believe and what we pray for has to inform the way we live now, in our world now. Jesus calls us to bring the kingdom of God to earth in the here and now. You know the Lord's Prayer. From Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Your kingdom come here. Kingdom is not a place. It's not a government. We're not talking about theocracy. The kingdom of God is where God is allowed to rule. It's God's leadership. And for us, it's, it, it means love. God is love. And the greatest commandments are love, like we said earlier. And, and so to bring God's kingdom on earth and that God's will will be done here as it is in heaven means that we want God's love to reign. Not, not in, a, in a way of forcing other people uh, to, to live in a theocracy and calling that religious freedom. That's not religious freedom. It means bringing God's love in our lives and in our communities and organizing our society in such a way that expresses love and value toward everybody. And so we, we want to be willing to think deeply about what that means in our time. We all have our political views. We're all part of, of a tribalistic America right now where we're divided on purpose by propaganda and, and, and cable news and politicians to, to view other Americans as the enemies. And, and we get uh, calcified in our own positions and, and often feel like if we, th- if we think any different from the in-group that we're a part of, that we're traitors. Or sometimes we'll get called traitors because we change our views on something. And that's the kind of environment we live in. But to, but to pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven means that I want to be open to more than my political tribe. I want to be open to more than just the political talking points that my friends repeat or I see in my, in my Facebook feed. I want to ask, what does it look like to bring God's kingdom to earth? And of course, we would never pray something when we don't have any intention to act. That would just be hypocritical. You would never, you would never want to pray for something that I'm not willing to do anything about. I heard a, an African-American pastor say one time, we need to put legs on our prayers. When we pray for something, that we're willing to, to be the answer to that prayer. Or why would we pray it? That's just testing God. Saying, God, why don't you do something about this, but then I don't do anything. That's just testing God. Like when Jesus was tempted and, and the devil said to Jesus, throw yourself off the highest point of the temple and angels will catch you. And, and Jesus quoted scripture and said, no, you, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. I'm not going to do something and then... And then or I'm, I'm not going to expect God to just do something when I'm not willing to partner with God to be an answer to prayer. And so we find ourselves in this situation again where we're forced to ask hard questions about violence in this country and mass shootings. And we're all exhausted. We're emotionally exhausted thinking about what happened at Robb Elementary this past Tuesday, 10 years after the horrible massacre at Sandy Hook Elementary in Newtown, Connecticut. And this past Tuesday, an 18-year-old 
young man took a, a high-powered rifle into a classroom and shot to death 19 second, third, and fourth graders and two teachers who died protecting those students. And then more details are coming, about, uh, coming out about what happened and the response. And, and oh, friends, we're all emotionally exhausted. And at the same time, there just aren't enough tears that we could shed that would do justice to this kind of horrific violence that just keeps happening in our country. We just saw mass shootings in Buffalo that were racially motivated by a, a young man who wrote a racist manifesto and traveled to Buffalo to shoot uh, people of color in a grocery store. And then the shooting in, in LA was committed against Taiwanese Christians by a man who hated people from Taiwan. And he targeted them on purpose. And now we have another situation of children being thinking about what a gun like that does to little children's bodies in their classroom. And we have a decision to make as a country. Of course, we have different views on guns in this country and what security means. And, and, and you know, this is, a, this is a place where we value freedom of thought. And at the same time, the question facing us right now is, do we continue to allow these kinds of shootings to keep happening? Or do we prevent them? Are we willing to accept the status quo that little children are going to be shot to death in their classrooms? That it's just going to happen? Or that people are going to be shot in church? Or that people are going to be shot in a grocery store? Are we going to, to continue to let this happen and accept it's just a part of life or are we going to step in and say, no, we're going to prevent this kind of thing from happening again, or we're going to do everything we can to prevent this kind of thing from happening again? There are more guns than there are people in the United States, and they're complicated questions with a lot of emotion. And at the same time, my guess is that many of you right now feel like we just can't let this keep happening. So one of the things we can learn from non-denominational churches like these congregational churches, and of course this applies to any of the branches of, of the Jesus movement we've talked about, where people who want to follow Jesus ask hard questions about what we can do to make society better and bring the kingdom of God, that God's will would be done here on earth as it is in heaven. And, and I think many of us right now probably feel a sense of anxiety, wondering What's going to happen in this country <clears throat> over the next few years? And who are we? And, and what this says about the soul of America and where all this is headed. And, and, and we, we worry about the future. We don't know if our efforts will make a difference. No matter how hard we try and we're tempted to, to, to feel hopeless at times or to throw up our hands. Well, these children will not get the chance to graduate whose lives were cut short. But in honor of these children and all children and graduates today, because some of us here at the well are graduating from various stages in education, I wanted to tell a story, I'm going to close with this, that reminds us that things can turn out much better than we think they're going to. And so before Hannah and I were married, I still lived back in Ohio, and, and um, this, is, this is early 2000s, and 
uh, hung out with some friends of mine who had recently gotten married and they, they had two little kids and, and their youngest child was a little boy and about age two, three, so it, it became apparent that he wouldn't talk around m- most people. He would talk to his mom, he would talk to his dad a little bit, but nobody else. He just wouldn't talk around other people. And then another year went by and, and, and they became very worried about him because he just wouldn't talk around most people. And, and they, they love him and they took him to get help. And he was diagnosed with selective mutism. If you don't know what that is, it's, it's a, a disorder that's based in extreme anxiety where a child will only talk to maybe a couple of people and won't talk to anybody else. And, and so when you have a child that faces a challenge like that, of course, you begin to worry about them and, and, and ask, you know, what is school going to be like for them? Are they going to be bullied? What, what is adulthood going to be like for them? Because this, this can persist into adulthood. What are they going to do? What, what is life going to be like for them? But they didn't throw up their hands. They love him and they, they sought treatment. They resourced him with what he needed uh, to be able to deal with this. But at the same time, the progress was, was slow. And, and of course, they worried about him like we would any time that a child faces challenges. Well, he was born 18 years ago. And so would you like to hear how his story has turned out so far? Last week, he just gave the valedictorian speech at his high school. (laughs) He just graduated at the top of his class, and he's headed to art school now, and he gave the speech. This kid who wouldn't talk to anybody except for his parents for so long, just gave the valedictorian speech to all of his classmates at his high school graduation. I I just love that story. And it reminds me that when we feel anxiety, when we worry about the future, we don't throw up our hands. We, We don't think, well, there's nothing I can do. It's all hopeless. No, these parents loved him and they resourced him and look what happened. He ended up graduating at the top of his class and doing the very thing that they worried he wouldn't be able to do, which is speak. And, and of course, it's just so awesome that he gave the valedictorian speech. Things can turn out better than we think they're going to. And, and like churches and, and this non-denominational congregationalist branch, there were causes that they were a part of that nobody knew how they would turn out. But, but folks rolled up their sleeves and they decided things can't remain the way they are. And people who love God and they want to, they want to bring the kingdom of God and, and, and have God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus taught us to pray, we're just going to do that. We're just going to follow Jesus. And so much of societal progress has taken place because of followers of Jesus like this, who decided they were not going to give up hope, but they were going to follow Jesus and get involved and they were going to bring, bring the kingdom of God to earth. And we have that opportunity here as well. I invite you to pray with me. Oh God, thank you for this series and all of the branches of the family tree that we've learned about here. From Catholics to Orthodox, Methodists, Anglicans, Lutherans, Presbyterians, Baptists, Anabaptists, Pentecostals, and and now non-denominational Christians. And, And God, we are so thankful for the way that you've worked in people's lives over the centuries calling people to yourself, calling people into a relationship with you. And, and, and then when we had questions and struggles, there were people who came up with different ideas 
different solutions. And we think of denominations as division and as a negative thing. And certainly that's been a part of the history of Christianity. But at the same time, it reminds us that you're a big God and, and Christianity is a big tent. And people who want to follow you, we are in a diverse family where there are many branches. And those of us who have felt alone with our questions or our struggles, we are not alone. We can find uh, inspiration and, and, and we can find um, this camaraderie in the family with other people who have struggled with the same kinds of things and had the same kinds of questions that we have. And we thank you, God, that we're not alone, but we're a part of a family. Oh God, as we think about what's going on in our country, mass shooting after mass shooting and violence and this absolute horrific, unspeakable tragedy that took place at Robb Elementary in Uvalde, Texas. Oh God, we have the opportunity right now to pray along with Jesus, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven and not give up. We don't have to settle for children being shot to death in their classrooms. We can live in answer to the Lord's prayer and we can bring God's kingdom here and now. And that applies to any issue that we face, economic injustice and, and racism and bigotry in all of its forms mistreatment of LGBTQ folks, wherever we find injustice, God, we can pray the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And oh God, as we do that, we will know that we stand in a long tradition of all of these groups of people, these branches of the family tree. We are not alone, but we are a part of your family. And oh God, we thank you for that reality in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen.